ಶ್ರೀಹರಿಂ ಪರಮಂದ ಉಪದೇಷ್ಟಾರೀಶ್ವರ ವ್ಯಾಪಕೋಕಣ ತಮ್ಯಹಂ Vedanta is overcoming ignorance about ourselves through knowledge about ourselves atma gyana knowledge about the atman atman means the self how does one come up, come to this knowledge about oneself the process is shravana manana nididhyasana shravana literally means hearing hearing these truths which means studying what we have been doing here studying these truths again and again manana which means contemplating these truths reasoning it out asking questions and finding the answers to those questions finding clarity then um the third one is nididhyasana is to stay with the clarity to understand what the teachings are to get clarity about it there's a difference between understanding and clarity what's the difference i may now understand what the book is trying to say but let's put it this way instead of saying understand i may now say i know what the book is saying but i do not understand i'm not very clear about it i've got many questions then you have you are in the second stage where you ask these questions and you reason it out after you have completed the second stage you come to clarity one comes to clarity not only do i know what the teachings are but i understand it i get it then comes the third stage nididhyasana which is dwelling on this knowledge which is soaking it in which is stabilizing yourself in this knowledge living the life living in the light of this knowledge that i am brahman living in the light of this knowledge one um, i remember one monk in haridwar he told me something very he told us not me particularly the gathering something very valuable prapt gyan ka aadar kare in hindi which means learn to respect the knowledge already acquired the understanding that you have already got the understanding we have already got in our life use it the insight that we have already generated try use it means dwell in it stabilize yourself in it try to live life according to its light whatever you have understood that's the way to make progress prapt gyan ka aadar kare what have whatever we have reached so far whatever understanding we have reached try to live it in day to day life then um one can make progress a similar saying i i remember a famous psychoanalyst in this country eric from i think i saw somewhere in eric from institute also here in manhattan eric from in one of his books he says insight separated from practice remains ineffective insight separated from practice remains ineffective or insight without practice remains ineffective 
So this third stage is where we dwell on this knowledge, the clarity we have already obtained, we soak it in, we stabilize ourselves in it and try to use it in our day-to-day -day life. Use it means, remember the whole purpose of Vedanta was overcoming of suffering and attainment of bliss. That uh, in Sanskrit, Atyantika Dukkha Nivritti, complete cessation or transcendence of suffering and Paramananda Prapti, attainment of bliss. Now that was what was promised. So let's see if it works. Am I able to overcome the problems, the physical problems I have got, um, mental issues that I have got, any kind of problems that I have, can I rise above it? Not that it will be solved. Physical problems have to be solved at the physical level or have to be borne. Mental problems likewise, relationships problems likewise. If there is a remedy, you have to apply it. Otherwise, you have to bear it. My own prarabdha karma is generating this and there seems to be no remedy. I have to bear it. But inwardly, am I affected or am I serene? If I have that inward undisturbed serenity, calmness, it does not make any difference to me. Peace within. Then Vedanta has given its, its results. To, to the extent I can maintain that inward calm and serenity, to that extent I can claim that Vedanta is working. If I cannot, if I keep getting upset, if I cannot recover from the being upset, then uh, uh, at least it should, it should get better, it shouldn't get worse. Uh, earlier I was upset because of what people used to say to me. Um, now I'm upset because of not only worldly reasons what people say to me, but because Vedanta is not working, that's why also I'm upset. Extra Vedanta problem now. Added to, some, added to samsara problem. That should not happen. For that Nididhyasana is prescribed. This Nididhyasana dwelling with this knowledge, the clarity, staying with it. This is called in Sanskrit Jnana Nishtha. Nishtha literally means in Sanskrit and in many Indian languages, it means dedication. Jnana Nishtha means being stabilized, being living the knowledge. Walking the talk, yeah. So, um, so jnana nishta means living your life in the light of this knowledge. That's the stage we are at now. One insight here is there is something called shraddha, faith. That comes at the beginning of our spiritual journey. That sustains us through our spiritual journey. So, if you remember. In Vedanta, there are four preliminaries, four prerequisites. They are called sadhan chatushtai, the four fourfold preliminary requisites for spiritual life. What are they? If you remember, can you, viveka, ability to discriminate or analyze to see the difference between the temporal and the non-temporal, between the permanent and the changing. Then second. Vairagya, a dispassion for the changing, for the non-eternal, for the passing uh, and an equal desire to realize the highest. Vairagya is not negative. Then third one, Shramadamadi Shatsampati, six-fold disciplines are there. Shama, a calmness of mind, not restless mind, calmness of mind. As far as the world is concerned, calmness of mind. 
But you may be restless for God. Sri Ramakrishna was very restless, but restless for God, not for the world. Often in our case, it is just the opposite. You're very calm regarding spirituality, Vedanta, God realization. Don't lose your sleep over. But every little problem that happens in the house, at work, on the road, uh, little, little problem that happens with the body, with people around me, it affects me very much. I lose sleep over it. Sri Ramakrishna put it this way. He said, people cry potfuls of tears for children and husband and wife. And how many people cry for God? How many people shed tears for God? So that shamaha is peaceful mind regarding the world. Damaha, control, discipline of the sense organs. Then third one is uparati, withdrawal from the world outside. Not too much engagement with, with, with the world as far as possible. That withdrawal becomes extreme. The height of that uparati is sannyasa, becoming a monk. So you like, as far as practical, you have withdrawn from the world. That's becoming a monk. But to whatever extent we can practice, basically today you would call it, and there are life coaches who coach you how to live your life better. I think it's a good idea. One of the things they say is simplify, simplify, simplify. So, uparati, withdrawal. Rati, enjoyment of the senses. Uparati, withdrawal, reverse. Then, fourth one. Uh, uparati, samadhana. To settleness. What you have withdrawn from the world outside, you must settle down within. Not sitting quietly. What have you done? Withdrawn. Then, nothing else. Not nothing else. Settle down on, on your spiritual quest. Bear down upon it. You have cleared the decks for action. Now take action. Then the uh, fifth one, titiksha, a spiritual toughness. These things we must remember. These are helpful till the point of realization. They are always helpful. Titiksha. That's the cash you have got to spend on your long journey. All of these qualities. This is what supports you through spiritual life. A spiritual toughness. No matter what happens in life. In the world outside, in my own mind, I have picked up something, I'll hold on to it. Until I, I, I'll see it through in this life. Then, last one. Shraddha. This is what I wanted to speak about. Sixfold treasure. Of the sixfold disciplines, the Shraddha. Shraddha means faith. What kind of faith is talked about in the path of knowledge? Not a blind belief. Not even a religious faith. It's just that what the, what the teachings are in the book, what my teacher has told me, it must be true, I don't get it yet. I'll get it. I will realize it soon. But till that point, take it on faith. It's no more than you would do when you go to class in a university. You're attending a math class or a physics class or something. And what's happening is incomprehensible. But you feel that what's there in the textbook and what the professor is telling me must be true. It's just that I don't get it yet. If I apply myself hard enough, I'll get it. It's not just blind belief. Shraddha. That faith is essential. Otherwise you won't, what's the phrase, stay the course. Is that the correct phrase? Stay the course means until you won't see it through. Unless you have that kind of faith. Such a thing is possible. I can be enlightened. I can be a Jivan Mukta and enlightened by living. That is possible in this very life. Such a thing is possible. I am Brahman. That faith, now at the end of the journey, Nididhyasana, the, the Vedantic meditation, that faith becomes Nishtha. 
what started out as, as faith now you understand and then if you hear these truths again and again if you think about it if you meditate upon it clarity comes depth comes it opens up we understand to some extent at least we all understand now now that you have understood it's no longer a matter of faith now you know now what do you have to do stay with your knowledge this is very vital jnana nishtha means staying with knowledge dedicated to knowledge stabilized in knowledge centered in knowledge what knowledge i am brahman centered in the truth that i am brahman this is jnana nishtha living your life in the light of this truth see how vivekananda's famous uh, definition of religion religion is the manifestation of the divinity already within us i often would wonder why did he not say religion is the manifestation of the div- is the knowledge of the divinity already within us why did he not say religion is the knowledge of the divinity already within us not just knowing it not just understanding it but manifestation manifestation means it must be reflected in my thinking in my speech in my actions finally am i able to live the life finally does it clearly show in my day to day life am i happy am i peaceful can i face the challenges of life which are bound to come anyway by my prarabdha karma can i face them with with a serene mind with a smile on my lips yes then you are manifesting the divinity within have i overcome selfishness have i overcome lust anger greed kama krodha lobha can i can i transcend those can i overcome them yes then that knowledge is working so that is the purpose of nididhyasana it leads to jnana nishtha jnana nishtha staying in the knowledge i am brahman now don't mistake this for that i'm continuously thinking i am brahman i am brahman i am brahman what are you doing jnana nishtha nididhyasana see continuously consciously always remembering that i am brahman that's a practice that's what that is what nididhyasana is there's no doubt consciously remembering it but one should come to the stage enlightenment is the stage where you don't have to consciously remember it it becomes part of your mental makeup it becomes part it becomes your identity second your second nature your first nature your nature your reality itself if your name is john do you keep repeating i'm john i'm john i'm john i'm john what would you like in your coffee i'm john i'm john i'm john no 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 i i don't want to forget that i'm john no you will never forget it's your name it's it's always the sign is that it's always available to you the moment somebody asks what's your name i'm john similarly that brahman nature is clear and unchanging ever shining always available to me whenever when do i need it when it is you know available means when i need it when do i need it not all the time when there is suffering when there is a problem physical pain emotional pain fear anxiety terror can i call upon that knowledge does it come immediately and help me overcome i can smile laugh at it all the problems which the world can throw at me if i can do that then it is at my beck and call if at that point i feel that it was clear in the vedanta class but now it's not at all clear 
then it is not not yet stabilized so it is not repeating i am brahman mentally repeating i am brahman is a mantra mantra is meant to be repeated this is knowledge knowledge is different from a mantra i had mentioned earlier how a very senior swami of our order he went to his guru swami gambhirananda the 10th president of our order after becoming a monk when you become a monk you are given by your guru you are given what is called a mahavakya among other things a mahavakya one of the great statements of the vedanta mahavakya aham brahmasmi i am brahman if you want to put the teaching of this entire book and all of vedanta in one sentence it is that aham brahmasmi i am brahman so having been given that becoming a monk next in the morning the first day, day of his life as a newly minted monk he went to the guru and he bowed down he told me the story uh, years later he bowed down to swami gambhirananda and asked swami how many times should i and we all the new monks how many times should we repeat this mahavakya because all the things that we have been given earlier are mantras meant to be repeated so that you drive it deep into yourself and swami gambhirananda said he he would sit with his eyes closed so swami gambhirananda said it is not meant for repetition it is meant for realization any other question no you may go he was a man of very few words it is not meant for repetition it's meant for realization it must become you it is you but you must realize it we had done verse number 132 ियंड in which body mind and the world are revealed or they exist have their existence in me samaha such a knowledge is evenly there always available vridha vridha literally means uh, old but here it means mature it means strong fully grown not weak not liable to be blown away by any kind of problem in the world vridha means very strong Swami Vivekananda would often tell the story of of the this there was a great um bull with huge horns and a mosquito came and one day sat on the horn of the bull and then afterwards it felt a little sorry that it hadn't asked permission so it says Mr bull um I'm sorry I troubled you I I didn't ask before I sat on your horn and the bull looked up and he said oh you're there I didn't even notice you are welcome to come and stay bring your entire family it makes no difference to me that's the way we should treat the problems of the world you are welcome to stay bring your entire family it's nothing to me i had heard a swami his pastor is i can tell his name ramananda saraswati in haridwar he had cancer of the of the stomach and then he was in operation after the operation he came when he recovered enough he came for the class the first day he came for the class he, he would come and sit on a little cot and we would all sit in front of him so he came and sat there 
and almost immediately he used to he would be bare bodied wearing a, a a cloth like this on top and a dhoti but you could see his bare body immediately it became covered with a sheen of sweat that means there was some pain somewhere uh, which immediately he he felt it and the other monks around him they said swami you don't have to be in the class you should take rest he just re recovered from cancer surgery then that monk told us a story ramananda saraswati told us a story he said why should i be bothered by this listen there was once this old lady who had a little cabbage patch in a little place where she grew her little vegetables and a small piece of land and the birds would come and peck at it so she had a tin box which she would bang and the birds would fly away one day an old camel um he was wandering around there he came into that garden and started chewing up the vegetables and the old lady rushed out and she banged the tin and the camel of course it could speak presumably in sanskrit i don't know the old camel said what are you doing lady don't you know i am an old war camel retired a veteran i have been in so many wars in fact the indian army even now has camels i think they should be obsolete by now but they still have you know in the parade you see so uh, camels there used to be camels in war uh, and horses and elephants and so on and sometimes some of the camels you would have big drums on the back of the camel and this camel said war drums used to be played on my back i wouldn't be afraid of that sound uh, will i be afraid of your uh, little tin box in hindi let me tell you in hindi those who understand it's more powerful like that mere peet par kitne hi yuddh ke nagaade baj chuke hain main tera tina se dadunga budhiya so will i be afraid of your little tin box then the swami said looked at us and he said on me i am that existence itself in which universes are created universes exist and universes dissolve into me will i be afraid of a little tummy pain no we'll have the class so that's see that's the thinking that's the per perspective that is called vriddha vriddha means um, matured uh, vriddha means um, full uh, it, it has come to its uh, fully manifested form strong paripakwa which is ripened another way of putting the same thing not an immature knowledge but a mature knowledge such people are said to sat brahmatam prapta they have attained brahman which is existence itself na itare shabdavadina not the others who deal with words who only deal with words who memorize books and verses so in the traditional method of teaching you are supposed to memorize the entire texts and there are so many who have done that but that's not enough if you memorize the text it's not enough then it's not that you have realized it who are the ones who are just who just deal with words that is now mentioned in the 133rd verse kushala brahma vartayam kushala brahma vartayam वृत्तिहीना 
Those who are experts in Vedanta, talking Vedanta, but they do not have that knowledge, I am Brahman, full of desires, unsatisfied desires. Such people, they will, are they liberated? Has Vedanta given them liberation? No. Such people go on in the cycle of birth and death. They will be reborn and they will die and they will be reborn. They come and go. Why? Ajnanatayanunam. Surely they are ignorant. They have knowledge about all the texts. They, can, they have studied Vedanta for years maybe. I know it all. But I don't feel that I am Brahman. I, don't, I cannot honestly claim that I am Brahman. In that case, it has not worked yet. So he says, Kushala Brahma Vartayam. Those who are experts, maybe a philosophy degree, maybe gives talks on Vedanta, Aparokshanabhuti talk, maybe has written books on Vedanta, quite possible, and yet feels, I have not realized it yet. Kushala Brahma Vartayam, experts in explaining Vedanta. There are many such people who, who can, and it's not a bad thing as long as one does not pretend. One teacher told us, being enlightened and still declaring oneself to be, a, that you are walking on the path and you are um, just like anybody else trying to get enlightenment, that's much safer than the opposite, not being enlightened and declaring oneself to be enlightened. Then you misguide other people and your own progress is blocked. Because you think, I've got it, I know it. That's a particular danger in the path of knowledge. One feels, because of the understanding in the intellect, one feels one, one has got it. And yet, you will see the sign will be, there will be curious contradictions in the speech and the behavior of the person. And say, I am Brahman, yes I understand, and can convince you also. But when it comes down to day-to-day -to -day activity, flies into a fury, one Swami told the story about um, uh, about a person, there was Kirtan going on. Kirtan sing, loudly singing the name of God and dancing. And the person was taking the name of Krishna, singing and dancing, face became red. And uh, uh, with so much emotion, completely oblivious of the world, singing and dancing. And then, they, it's a true story, then they, this person who told me, they went back with that person to the place where they were staying. And this man, who was so full of the divine mood, he went there and he was a rich man with servants and all. This happened some 60-70 years ago. He went there and he found that his pitcher, his jar of water was broken. The servant had made a mistake and it had slipped and fallen. This poor guy was standing there trembling and the master comes home with his divine mood of... You know, and says, who did this? And then it was revealed that the servant had done it. And this man, again his face became red and he started beating the servant actually. Now imagine, within half an hour, face is red with emotion for Krishna. Within half an hour, face is red with anger and beating the servant. Now what happens? What is this? Uh -huh. This should not happen. If one is stabilized in this knowledge that I am Brahman, here or in devotion, I am the child of Krishna, or I am the, I am the devotee, the lover of Krishna. You should, you should, that, that attitude should not slip away. This is a contradiction between what that person is saying and, uh, and what that person is doing. He says, Suraginaha, full of 
desires. Raga dvesha. Raga means strong attractions to worldly things. I know it is impermanent. I know Brahman is permanent. I have vairagya for the world. All of that I say. But I have strong attachments and likings for certain things. Strong hatred and disliking for certain things and people. Then that shows knowledge is not yet steady. It's like a child goes to a museum. It's a well-known, actually a Tamil anal analogy I heard. A child goes to a, a museum with his father and there, is, there are wooden sculptures and there's a big elephant suddenly in front and the child gets terrified and hides behind the father. Now it's a wooden elephant and the child is scared. child thinks it's an elephant. child doesn't know it's made of wood. The father knows. father also sees that it looks like an elephant but it's not an elephant. There's nothing to be scared of here. That's the difference. Uh, the, uh, the person is stuck on the name and form. It is something to be terrified of. If you know everything is Brahman, why are you terrified of this thing and you hate this thing and you want the other thing and you really desire the other thing? Why? Because they are all Brahman. Why should you prefer one over the other? The child is terrified of the elephant because he thinks it's a real elephant, name and form. The father is not because he realizes, though it's a terrifying form, right in front of you a huge tusker, but it's not a tusker, it's, it's, it's wood. Similarly, if you realize all is Brahman, one sign will be Raga Dvesha will go down. This intense pull towards certain things, karma, lust, passion, intense hatred, anger, dislike for other things, other people. And this sharp likes and dislikes will even out because you know the reality behind everything is Brahman. Even the bad will seem not so bad at all. Suraginaha. But an expert in um, Vedanta will even convince you that's also perfectly alright. How? You say, I am Brahman, all those desires are at the level of my mind. I know I am Brahman, all the desires, anger, hatred is the level of the mind. What's wrong with that kind of reasoning? Can you tell me? It's duality. Yes. You are giving two realities. The mind and Brahman. I am Brahman and there is something else called the mind and it has its own desires and that's operating in its own level. If you know you are Brahman, Satchidananda, you are Purnam, complete. What would you, um, what would you desire in the world for completion? Nothing. If it comes by your prarabdha, very well and good. If it does not come, that's also perfectly alright. I don't know if you'll understand this, it was very funny. A very senior monk once in Belurmat, I went to the place where he was sitting in his office and he would deal with the newcomers, those who came to be monks. And the senior monk, this Swami would teach in a very nice way, a very um, simple way. But often because it was so simple, people did not understand the profound nature of his teachings. He was sitting in the office and this is the headquarters of the Ramakrishna order. And this young boy has come to become a monk. And the Swami is trying to talk to him and try to understand his mind and, you know, try to tell him what it means really. And he rings for tea. There's a guy who does that who brings you tea if you <coughs> ring for, if you means if you are a very senior Swami. If you ring, you will not get tea. <laughs> so he rings for tea. 
And while the monk was talking, I was sitting nearby. Then somebody came in with the tea for all of us. And the monk suddenly pointed out to that young boy, See, I rang for tea and the tea came. But it might not come also. And if you are absolutely serene in both circumstances, then you can be a monk. I think the boy looked bewildered, what it has got to do with tea. But what he meant was, what happens by prarabdha karma, if you can deal with it calmly. Don't have particular preferences, it has to be like this, otherwise it's awful. You may not think that we, we have these weaknesses, but we do. Somebody says something rude to you and you get upset. Why? You might say, he said something rude, that's what I got upset. But you know what's behind that getting upset? The axiom that we are operating on, although if I say it aloud it sounds silly, but if you actually the axiom you are operating on is, everybody all the time should be nice to me. Everybody in the world, all the time, all through my life, should be nice to me. If I say it aloud it sounds silly. But that's exactly what most of us believe. Otherwise, there's no occasion to be uh, upset if occasionally somebody comes and is rude or abrupt with us. Why? Whoever said that everybody in the world will be nice to us all the time? No. If I, uh, if I, uh, another axiom uh, we, we operate on. All this is coming not from Vedanta, it's coming from something called cognitive behavior therapy. No, sorry, it's coming from something called REBT. Rational Emotive Behavior Therapy. So, um, another one is, all my work should be perfect, complete, within time, everything should, be, should go perfectly well, otherwise I am a failure. No, if you say it outright like that, that sounds silly. Once in a while everybody does, does not come up to expectations, might be an outright mistake, something wrong, that happens to everybody. But why would you believe this? Some people believe that and they go into depression the moment. Or they don't even dare to take a project because they are afraid of, of failing. So these ideas at the back of our mind, suragina, we have this, this ignorance about our real nature and therefore we want, we are identified with this body and mind and we want to arrange the world which, in a way that suits this particular body and mind. It's an eternal struggle, you can't, you can't win the, this game. You are Brahman, not a particular body and mind. Why do people do wrong things? Why do people lie? Why do people do wrong things, break laws? Not as a spiritual practice. <laughs> I am stealing something for his benefit. He has too much money, I am taking it away. His spiritual... No. Nobody does that. All, all the time, whenever we do anything wrong, immoral, which we know to be wrong, it's because we could not control our passion, our anger, our greed, karma, krodh, lova. Majority is because of this. Sometimes we do things because of fear. Somebody else, something worse might happen, so I will tell a lie now. Because of these reasons we do things which are wrong. If you are calm and confident and serene and safe, you wouldn't feel like doing anything wrong. Suragina. And people use Vedanta to justify it sometimes. That's why he's saying uh, that 
Kushala Brahma Vartayang, those who are experts in teaching or talking about Vedanta, only talking about it. In Sri Ramakrishna, there was a monk in Dakshineshwar who would tell lies. And Sri Ramakrishna scolded him, you are a monk, why do you tell lies? You talk about Vedanta and you tell lies. And the monk said, the whole world, see lie in, in Bengali or Sanskrit or Hindi is Mithya. Mithya means a lie. Whole world is Mithya, a lie. That's what Vedanta teaches. Why are you only catching my lie? Sri Ramakrishna was dumbfounded. <laughs> what do you say to such a person? <laughs> I would rather protect my weakness than come out of it, transcend it and rise above it. Rather justify my weakness. Then Vedanta is not, is not, neither, not, not only not working, it's positively doing harm. It's, it's, it's stopping me in my spiritual progress. So, Sri Ramakrishna had very harsh, abusive words for such kind of Vedanta. Kushala Brahmavartayam Vrittihina, those who do not have that knowledge. Just the opposite. Ah, so, about such people, what it is said? Those who are, do not have this knowledge and are prey to their likes and dislikes, Ragadvesha, Punar Ayanti Yanticha. After death, will they be free, enlightened? No. They will come back again. Just like any ignorant person, because Agyanatayanunam, surely they are ignorant. Just like anybody else. This is a kind of learned ignorance. I can tell you the truth, but I don't feel it myself. So, that kind of ignorance that leads to cycle of birth and death continuing, perpetuated. You see, moksha, liberation, you can put it in two ways. One is, when you realize I am Brahman, you are freed of suffering and you attain bliss. Dukkha nivritti paramananda prapti, that's what I said first. But the other way it has been understood in India has been that you are freed of the cycle of birth and death. So that's what he's saying, you'll not be freed of the cycle of birth and death if uh, you get stuck in the words themselves. Somebody was joking in the monastery there. After reading all of this, is now I feel it's better not to read Vedanta. No, don't go so far. You have to read Vedanta, you have to practice Vedanta, you have to live it and get its benefits. That's what is being meant here. What about the opposite? Those who have this knowledge and they dwell on it and absorb it. Next verse. Nimeshardham natishthanti Nimeshardham natishthanti Vrittim brahmabhaim vina Vrittim brahmamayim vina Yatha tishthanti brahmadhyā Yatha tishthanti brahmadhyā Sanakādhyā shukādhyāha Sanakādhyā shukādhyāha Those who are sincere, genuine, what, what do they do? Once they have understood Vedānta, what do they do? Nimeshardham natishthanti vrittim brahmamayim vina Without that Brahmamai Vritti, Vritti, I am Brahman, they continuously choose to dwell upon it. Consciously first, by the practice of Vedantic meditation, you say, how do I do that? Well, don't ask that. We did 15 techniques, which Shankaracharya pointed out. Use any one or more or all of them and dwell continuously. How long? 
How long do you have to dwell on it? One hour in the morning, one hour in the evening? He says, Nimeshardham Natishtanti. Not even half a minute should go by without dwelling on Vedanta. There is a nice verse which my, the Pandit who taught me Nyaya, he said, he had quoted it. I forget, forgotten the original Sanskrit. Nyaya is Indian logic. It's very complicated and very subtle. You have to get the hang of it actually. It requires a lot of effort. You think Vedanta is complicated, Vedanta is child's play compared to Nyaya. It's a good way of frying your brain. Anyway, that Pandit quoted a shloka. The meaning of that was that um, the poet who does not compose something every week loses his faculty of poetry. The grammarian who does not memorize his grammar derivatives, Vyakarana, that means in Sanskrit, it takes a lot of effort. Every day unless you practice grammar, you will lose it. You lose your facility in grammar. And the logician who does not dwell on logic from moment to moment will lose it. <laughs> so every moment you have to dwell on logic. But I think it's much better to dwell on Vedanta than to dwell on, on logic every moment to moment. But that's what is meant here. Nimesh Ardham, not even half a minute should go by when you do not dwell on the fact that you are Brahman. This is the conscious dwelling Nididhyasana. But it should afterwards become automatic. Second nature, first nature for you. Then he gives examples. Is it possible? Such people are there. He gives examples. Yathatishtanti, as dwell or as they are centered like examples. He gives three kinds of examples. Brahmadhyaha, the gods beginning with Brahman. Not Brahman, sorry, Brahma, the first born of the gods. Brahma is the creator. So in the Mundakopanishad it is said, um, it, the Mundakopanishad begins with the line, Brahma Devanam Prathamasambhuva Vishwasya Karta Bhuvanasya Gopta. Brahma was the first of the devas to appear, the creator of the world, the protector of the world. Now this Brahma is always realizes, I am not Brahma, I am Brahman, Satchidananda. So that knowledge is always forever enlightened. So Brahma and the gods also. In the Kena Upanishad we find how the gods Indra and Varuna um, and Agni, they became enlightened. Not Varuna, Indra, Agni, Vayu. They became enlightened. So they dwell. At least the verse says so they are continuously dwelling on Brahman. Not only that, Sanakadya, Sanaka, etc. Sanaka, uh, etc. Et means the four Rishi Kumaras. Sanaka, Sanandana, uh, Sanat Kumara, um, then um, um, Sanaka. Shuka? No, not Shuka. Sanaka, Sanandana, Sanat Kumara, um, one more. Sanatana, Sanaka, Sanatana, Sanandana and um, uh, Sanat Kumara, the four Rishi Kumaras. They are the mind-born, the spiritual children of Brahma and they are always perfected, they are always dwelling on Brahman. You know, I was just thinking, this concept of mind-born, spiritual son, uh, these things would seem very mythological to us. They seem mythological to us, but yet you see in the life of Sri Ramakrishna, Swami Brahmananda, 
when the Divine Mother appeared before Sri Ramakrishna in a vision and put a baby on his lap in the vision and said, this is your son. Sri Ramakrishna said, oh, will I have a son like other worldly people? And then the Divine Mother said, no, Manasaputra, your mind-born son, your spiritual son, he will come to you, you will recognize him. So, and that happened. Sometime later, Sri Ramakrishna was, uh, he also had a vision of a big lotus blooming on the, on the river and the child Gopala playing with another divine child on the lotus and then the vision faded away. Few days later, when uh, Brahmananda, who is Rakhal, came to meet Sri Ramakrishna as a young boy, Sri Ramakrishna saw him and recognized him and asked him, what's your name? And he said, Rakhal. Rakhal means that the coward boy of Vrindavan, the shepherd of Vrindavan. So he's called the eternal companion of God and also the mind-born or the spiritual son of Sri Ramakrishna. So those things are there in the spiritual literature. So the four Rishi Kumaras, they are supposed to be perfect. They're always dwelling on there or they're always, they're fully enlightened that they are, that they are Brahman, they are absolutely no doubt. The third example is given of Shukadayaha. Shukadeva um, is, the, is a Rishi who is the son of Vyasa. He is regarded as being perfect. Some who saw Sri Ramakrishna, I think it was Duryananda who for the, for the, when he first saw Sri Ramakrishna, he said, is, it, is, he, is this Shukadeva, the great uh, Paramahamsa we find in the uh, scriptures? He looked like that according to, to uh, Hari, Duryananda. So Shukadeva, Rishis, ever perfected sages like Shuka, they all dwell on their Brahman nature. For them, it's always available. They always know that they are Brahman. Alright. So such people are there. These are meant as inspiration to us. So that we dwell on it more and more. That on our own Brahman nature. Use everything. You don't have to use only the, uh, the 15 techniques of Vedantic meditation given here. The same thing can be done through devotion. Repeat the mantra, feel the presence of your Ishta Devata continuously. The divine presence in your heart. That is the approach through faith. In every way one can do this. Sri Ramakrishna said, Shiva Jnana Jiva Seva. All sentient beings are actually Shiva. Keep that in mind and serve everybody. Now when you serve everybody, trying to keep that in mind, that itself is a kind of dwelling in the divine. But this is a most, most direct way. The divinity is directly available within you, in your own experience. Try to dwell in it. Use all these techniques. So this concludes the Vedantic meditation portion. And uh, now we have some time. Would you like to ask a question? There's one last topic which Shankaracharya raises now. Important topic before concluding the book. So we are going to start the last topic now. At this point, would, does anybody have any question of what we have done so far, what we talked about today? Anything? All right. Let me start. Yes. And, uh, I mean, we said that you should not be repeating, I am Brahma, I am Brahma. Huh. How is Vedantic meditation when you are indirectly doing that? Yes. One is, the answer to your question, the question was, we should not, it, should, it should not be a repetition. Am Brahmasmi, the knowledge is not meant to be re repeated. It's not, the sentence Am Brahmasmi is not meant to be repeated like a mantra. That's what I said. 
That's not the purpose. You can repeat it. It's a good practice, but that's not what is meant here. What is meant here is that the knowledge that I am Brahman, the clarity which comes, dwell on that. You're not repeating a sentence. You know something, stay with that knowledge, keep your attention on that knowledge. Suppose I say, you ask what is this? So altar. I say, no, no, it's wood. Look at it as wood. You say, okay, I can see that it's wood. What did you do? You changed your perspective on it. Now I say that, dwell on that perspective that it is wood. Keep on dwelling on that. Then you're consciously dwelling on a perspective, but you are not repeating uh, a mantra. The altar is wood, altar is wood. You're not doing that. You know it is wood and you know that, that knowledge you are sticking with it. Similarly, we have understood this is all Brahman. My own reality is Brahman. That understanding, stay with it consciously, Vedantic meditation. But even that's not the final thing. What I meant was staying with that conscious, uh, consciously that makes it your, as you said, second nature or first nature. Then you don't even have to stay with it consciously. Just as you don't have to stay with your name consciously. Your name is always available to you. So distinguish between these three things. Using a mantra, which means repeating something. So you're using a Krishna mantra, Krishna, 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 repeating it. Dwelling on knowledge, different from using a mantra. You have understood something, you keep your mind on that understanding. Using all those 15 techniques, you will see, they are all 15 different ways of keeping your mind on that understanding. Do you remember, for example, pranayama. Breathing in, you keep your mind on that knowledge that I am Brahman. Breathing out, you keep your mind, you notice that this world is mithya and appearance, it's name and form only. Only. Breathing in, I am Brahman. Holding the breath, I am Brahman, stay, stay in that, that knowledge, that awareness. You see how pranayama, control of the breath, has been transformed into staying with the knowledge. But you are saying I am Brahman when you are breathing in or not? Yes. You are saying, saying means, it's like, Saying means what? You are using it to point to the knowledge. You are not using it as a mantra. This thing must be understood. You must un Do you understand what's the difference between saying, say repeating uh, Om Namah Shivaya, Om Namah Shivaya, Om Namah Shivaya, Om Namah Shivaya. And if I repeat to myself, I am Sarva Priyananda, I am Sarva Priyananda, I am Sarva Priyananda. What's the difference between the two? Can anyone tell me? What's the difference between the two? Yes, Om Namah Shivaya, I'm pointing to myself and this I'm pointing to what is a fact to me. Yes. Om Namah Shivaya is not a fact to me, yes. it's a practice to me. So I think what happens when I have tried to do this with the inhale, exhale, first two, three times I can um, keep that as the truth, but then I think it becomes a repetition. Right, it can happen. The emphasis should not be on the inhaling, exhaling or even on the Am Brahmasmi, Jagat Mithya, not even on that. The emphasis should be on the knowledge which is gained earlier. That Am Brahmasmi will immediately become a repetition unless that clarity is there. So in the initial stages, the importance is given to Shravana, to hearing these truths again and again and again till not just one book, different ways. Luckily Vedanta has a wide array, a spectrum of books which it will give you and Think about it again and again, then clarity comes. Hear it again and again, think about it, ask questions. These are important things. 
don't rush into vedantic meditation if you rush into vedantic meditation what will happen is kind of vague understanding will come and quickly it will become repetition a mantra No, don't give too much importance to po- to no, policing it. You, you well, what I mean is not being a police, but being aware of it and comparing it. No, you see, that is a yogic approach. I am not thinking of Shiva now. Let me think of Om Namah Shivaya, Om Namah Shivaya. That is a yogic approach, mantra yoga. My vritti should not be anything else except Om Namah Shivaya. That is mantra japa, repeating the mantra. Whereas this is, let any vritti come. Let any vritti come. I can use it to become aware of my Brahman nature. Suppose something comes. Did I, um, oh today was a very nice day. Or today was a cloudy day. Cloudy day, this whole thought is shining in my awareness. That awareness is an unlimited awareness. Eternal, unchanging, self-effulgent, existence, consciousness, bliss. I am Brahman. I notice that. What did I do? I used the vritti to become aware of that ever-present consciousness. It's like, I show you, the, the point is to be aware of the light. I show you the book and you say, book is unimportant, it's shining in the light. I show you the cloth, cloth is unimportant, shining in the light. I show you my hand, hand is unimportant, shining in the light. The light, the light, the light, an ever-present fact. It's there. It's continuously there. All the time. Yes. The awareness is always there. It's not that Brahman is available only when I do the Vedantic meditation correctly, the proper inhalation, ex- exhalation, Aam Brahmasmi, the Mahavakya. Don't get caught up in the technicalities. Brahman is continuously there, ever shining forth. It's only in itself that in, in Brahman only everything is revealed. See. For you to have any experience, you must be present first. That presence is always required for any experience. Meditation, not meditation, yogic meditation, Vedantic meditation, uh, driving a car, um, attending a class, being angry with somebody. Don't be angry, but whatever, eating, drinking, walking, talking, enjoying, suffering, whatever experience, it is that consciousness alone. Experience is a name and form. It does not, in fact, the more correct your understanding is, the more easy this will be. If you start with trying the Vedantic meditation, often it will be very difficult. It will become either you sit, um, it becomes, mind becomes blank, or it becomes a repetition, or you get a headache, or all three. (laughs) Because you're starting on the wrong end. Start with, uh, many people think meditation sounds way cooler than just reading a book. The book itself is more important than the meditation. The meditation will come automatically. The example I'll give you is a very nice example. You go in front of a mirror. The mirror will immediately reflect your face. Right? Or will the mirror say, not in the mood today. I am not concentrated. Let me try some face meditation. Then only I'll be able to reflect it correctly. Naturally it will reflect. The very presence of the mirror uh, uh, leads to reflection. 
this particular process, this understanding, it will naturally take you to the ever-present Brahman. Then meditation becomes very easy. But if you start with the meditation without the clarity and knowledge, it becomes a struggle. Yes. So when we say the knowledge of I am Brahman, how do we think of this Brahman if it is beyond mind and speech? Very good. Brahman is beyond mind and speech, so I will not start the last topic today. Let me deal with this. I can see a number of you are eager to answer the question because do you remember those who attend the gospel class? Vritti Vyapti Falabhyapti? Alright. The question here is, we again and again hear that uh, Brahman is beyond mind and speech and yet we talk about vritti, a movement in the mind, knowledge in the mind that I am Brahman. How can there be a knowledge in the mind that I am Brahman? Brahman cannot be grasped by the mind. Brahman is beyond the mind. Again and again we hear avang manasagochara, yan, the beyond mind and speech. Yan manasana manute, what the mind cannot think of. Different Upanishads, we hear this. Now you keep on repeating, give so much importance to knowledge in, of Brahman and stay with that knowledge. Fifteen techniques and those who do not do this, they will go round and round in the birth of death. Those who do this are blessed, so and so forth. But how can the mind have knowledge of Brahman? Do you remember the answer? This is, um, this is a standard question. In the, in, the, in the monastery when the brahmacharis are trained, one question is, at the end of the year, one of the, one of the topics which comes up is some of the Upanishads say Brahman is beyond the mind. You can't, it, it's, it cannot be, mind cannot have knowledge of Brahman. Brahman is beyond the mind. And other Upanishads say Manasei Vedam Aptabhyam will come to you. Manasei Vedam Aptabhyam. It can be known only by the mind. It cannot be known only by the, it cannot be known by the mind. It can be known only by the mind. How do you reconcile these two? Would you like to say something? Yeah, uh, a possible answer. Um, wouldn't uh, Brahman be the one who is seeking to recognize itself? True. It is true. Yes. But how do you have knowledge in the mind? Yes. Uh, knowledge can remove ignorance hmm. when the place of ignorance and uh, when the lo what is locus of ignorance and the place of knowledge are same. But Brahman is not in the mind, then how can it happen? So mind has two, Vritti, uh, Vritti and Phala Okay, you are giving my answer. <laughs> Let me repeat that answer. That's, that's the correct answer. Let me repeat that uh, for the internet audience because they can't hear it unless you speak it into the microphone. The quick answer to all of this is this. First of all, we must understand what is knowledge. How does the mind get knowledge? Epistemology. We need some of some Vedantic epistemology. How do we get knowledge? According to Vedanta, what happens is, see, for example, when you look at some any particular object, this light is reflected from this. It comes to the eyes. From the eyes, an image is formed that is transmitted somehow through the nerves to the optic centers of the brain. There, somehow, this is reconstituted. Because what comes outside from outside is light. The book doesn't enter your eyes. Light enters your eyes. What goes from the eyes to the brain is just electrical um, uh, impulses from the synapses of the neurons. 
from electrical impulses how does it become the image of a book in your mind don't know yet we don't know but it happens clearly you are getting this information in your mind right now this information when it comes to the mind it leads to a movement in the mind imagine the mind as a lake and throw a pebble into that lake it will send out ripples so that movement in the mind this impulse which comes from outside is like a pebble you throw into the lake of the mind it generates a movement in the mind that is called vritti what that vritti does is it orients the mind towards the object of knowledge that's a fancy way of saying that now i am thinking i'm seeing a book and simultaneously what happens is brahman or consciousness pure consciousness which is reflected in the mind which shines in the mind it reveals that vritti the movement in the mind is now revealed by the consciousness shining in the mind reflected consciousness chidabhasa so two things happen in knowledge one is somehow whatever you want to know has to enter the mind first of all unless the mind is involved no knowledge is possible nothing whether it is seeing something hearing something smelling touching tasting remembering understanding feeling loving hating whatever pleasure pain whatever it has to be a movement in the mind that movement in the mind is called vritti it focuses the mind on the object of knowledge and the consciousness reflected in the mind illumines that vritti naturally because the consciousness is there it shines upon it the moment it shines upon that vritti you get the feeling i know the book i see a book i see a book is the movement of the mind and the knowledge that flash yes that is the consciousness revealing that movement of the mind when you understand when you crack a math problem it the mind does all the work churning away at it thinking about it consciousness just keeps on revealing all of it so two movements two things are there one is called vritti vyapti one is called phala vyapti in sanskrit vritti vyapti means the mind must pervade the object literally speaking that means mind must literally take the shape of the object this object must come to the mind somehow through eyes through ears through smell touch taste memory understanding intellect somehow it must create a movement in the mind and second the consciousness there the reflected consciousness should reveal it it will automatically happen whatever comes in the mind is automatically revealed by consciousness the first one is called vritti vyapti the second one is called phala vyapti good this is what happens for any kind of knowledge that we get in the world now once you have got this knowledge requires vritti vyapti phala vyapti literally if you translate into english pervasion by mind pervasion by consciousness now when it comes to brahman which is consciousness itself that's not uh, what happens is that the mind must be now focused on brahman how that uh, you read the book hear about it think about it try to understand it the mind is being continuously tuned to that inner reality you withdraw from thinking about external things focus inwards and at one point when you have got it right what will happen is not that the reflected consciousness in the mind will reveal brahman there rather brahman which is shining will self revealed brahman is self revealed the consciousness in the mind does not reveal brahman in terms of the two terms which we define vritti vyapti phala vyapti pervasion by the mind vritti is there but phala vyapti 
pervasion by the reflected consciousness not there or one school says not necessary i gave an example last time which is very effective imagine the room is dark and outside it's sunlight bright sunlight now i want to illumine things in the room i want to see the things in the room what do i do i take a steel plate a shining surface and i focus the sunbeams on whatever i want to see sunbeam comes and strikes my shining plate disk and i focus it on the different chairs and things in the room wherever i focus that sunbeam the reflected sunlight goes and illumines that object now that focusing the disk is vritti vyakti and the little sun shining on that disk from the real sun shining on that the reflected consciousness that or reflected light that going and illumining what i focused it on that is called falavyapti that's how i see things in the room now room is like the earth like 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 the world and the disk is like the mind and the little sun reflected in the disk is like the reflected consciousness chidavasa and the real sun is the real consciousness atman brahman whatever you call it now suppose i want to see the real sun then what do i have to do i have to turn away from the world towards the sun the disk is turned away that means the disk has to be focused towards the sun the mind has to be turned away from the world towards god towards your inner reality then what happens will you say that the little sun here now it sends a beam of light back there to the real sun and illumines the sun no the sun is shining with a billion times more light than that little reflected sun there it did not even required that sun is clear do you need a pointer when you looking at the sun do you need a pointer there like a do you need a pointer do you think so when you are looking with the mind when looking at the sun do you need a laser pointer it will come pointer there is there is the sun <laughs> no the sun is shining so brightly it floods you with light there is no way of mistaking it you are brahman here the sun is something separate from you but you are brahman you shine forth only thing it becomes clear when the mind is focused on brahman focusing is done through shravana manana nididhyasana so to sum up answer to your question does the mind reveal brahman yes does the mind reveal brahman no how the mind how is it yes because focusing of the mind is required vritti vyapti is required that's why brahmakara vritti again and again and again vritti of the form of brahman what is vritti of the form of brahman exactly what it is there's a discussion about that but i'll tell you in general terms what it is is what is the vritti you generate in the mind when you get clarity after studying this that vritti but will it reveal brahman no it will only remove your ignorance about brahman it will only focus you tune you to brahman brahman reveals itself so phalavyapti necessary for realizing brahman no brahman is swaprakasha it is ever evident because phalavyapti is not necessary we say brahman is beyond the reach of the mind is it's usually phalavyapti which gives us knowledge of anything in the world because it's beyond phalavyapti not beyond the reach of the mind beyond the reach of reflected consciousness hence mind it's beyond mind we say yet the mind is required if i don't inquire into brahman if i'm continuously engaged with the world i'll, ne- I'll never get that realization i must inquire yes maharaj aapko 
Yes. Thakur said, it, it's, uh, Brahman is beyond the reach of the mind, but it is within the reach of the pure mind. Now, in a Vedantic sense, pure mind means three kinds of impurities are there. They have to be removed. In Sanskrit, Agyana, Vikshepa, Mala. Mala means impurity, all the vasanas, the garbage we have dumped into the mind lifetimes. The deconditioning must be there, the purifying of the mind. That is called Chitta Shuddhi, first. Second, mind is scattered. Thinks of 101 different things, keeps flickering from one to another. If you try to meditate, you will see how scattered it is. So it must be concentrated. Chitta Ekagrata, concentration. Third, Agyana, ignorance is there in the mind. Ignorance is also a kind of impurity. That has to be removed. How? By Jnana, by this. So three kinds of impurities, if they are removed, then you can say in Sri Ramakrishna's terms, Shuddhamon, purified mind, mind purified of vasanas or mala, mind purified of distraction or vikshepa, mind purified of ignorance or agyana. Agyana, vikshepa, mala, rahitamana. That is pure mind, Shuddhamana. That mind will immediately, the enlightenment will come in that mind. Very good, we have a nice discussion. Next class we will enter into the final topic with Shankaracharya. It's a very important topic. It's, a, it's a basically like you have source code in computer programming. It gives you the, in a few verses the whole plot of what happened in this book. Uh, very, very nice, very dramatic and very insightful. He, he, he does that. The, the source code of Vedanta, he will give it to us in three or four verses. Om Shanti 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 Hari Om Tatsat Shri Ram Krishna Rupanamastu